Yeah. Sometimes we laugh and sometimes we cry, but I guess you know now. Baby. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Coon Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM, ESPN. How about it? The first installment on a Tuesday in 2024 of Christian Fowler at C. Fowler BCM on X. From Bluff City Media, senior writer and content creator. Also, we have a podcast called the On the Bluff Podcast. You can find on Apple, Spotify, full-length video version on YouTube. Christian, what's happening, brother? Happy New Year. Oh, Happy New Year, Gabe. I'm just honored. I'm honored to be on. Yes. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? Do you have any resolutions for this year? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I don't like to, I don't like to set myself up for failure, you know? Okay. I was going to say, you're not going into the gym to do the Stairmaster today, getting in the gym for about a month, and then not doing it for the rest of the year? No, no, I'm not going to do not that. Not to drink more water, set, nothing like that? You set the, If you set the bar low or don't set you the bar You can always overachieve, really yes. Yes, yeah. you can always overachieve if you set the bar low. Love it. It's pretty. Do you have any? Uh, no, absolutely not. Don't believe in them. <laughs> okay, so we're, <laughs> we're on the same page here. Yes. Um, what I do believe in though, and I, I have to, I have, because we talked about this before the, before the new year hit after watching the college football playoff games yesterday, I think we can acknowledge, and I already brought this up on the show. We can acknowledge that the committee got it right. Committee did get it right. Um, maybe you could talk about Georgia, uh, being out and they're one of the top four best teams, but those two games came down to a play at the 12 and a play at the three to go win the game. And neither team came through Alabama or Texas. That was uh, that was a phenomenal night of, of college football last night. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think you're right. I think the committee did get it right, and you and I shared that sentiment from the beginning, even though it may not have been fair on face value. It, it We clearly saw what Florida State would have done if they would have played any team in the college football playoff. And I think you're right. The only argument that can be made is Georgia, but I think fair and square Alabama deserved to be in over them. And it was it was two really good games. I think we were treated to a good college football playoff weekend. I feel like typically there's one good game and one game that's kind of nondescript or a blowout. So it was good to have both games that were competitive and came down to the last play of the game. So a lot of fun, and it should be a – it may not be the national championship most people were expecting, even though it's, it, it is – one versus two, but I'm excited for it. I'm excited for different teams. I think it's the first time since 2015 there's no SEC team in the national championship. Yep. And when was the last time Washington was in? And was it the 90s or something like they that? They won in 91. They they shared 91? one in 91. Yeah. Yes, and then Michigan and then 97. Know, right. So we get we get a we get a new blood type of national championship. I know Michigan's been really competitive. And this was their third consecutive year in the playoff. But Michigan-Washington, it should be a lot of fun. It's two very different teams stylistically, and it's whatever team whatever team gets their style off better is going to win that game. And so it, it should be a lot of fun. It should be a chess match uh, between DeBoer and between between Harbaugh, and it'll be it'll be interesting to watch because it's not it's not a typical kind of matchup. You have a, a smash mouth defensive run the ball control the clock team, and then high flying over the top one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Yep. And if Michael Penix plays the way that he did against Texas on Monday night, then it's hard to see anybody beating Washington. Yeah, and here's the thing about Michael Penix that I brought up. Like, Washington going into this whole thing, you, you don't necessarily believe in their defense. 
or their running game or or what they do in the trenches in, in the biggest way. Like the other three teams I think are more complete. But in the end of the day, that deep passing game, it's the great equalizer for them. Like it's, yep. I, I likened it to a basketball team that consistently goes out there game to game and shoots 50% from three. May, they may not rebound the best. They may not be the toughest team, but if they shoot 50% from three, they can win any game they're a part of. That's what Washington is to me. Yeah, but before you said it, that's exactly what I was going to say. Michael Penix having an elite quarterback is the great equalizer. And I know I know some people think J.J. McCarthy is, and I think he's really good. I don't know if I would call him elite. I don't know if I'd put, he, put him in the upper echelon of the Michael Penix and the Jaden Daniels right. and the Bo Nix. He's right, he's right there. But Michael Penix is is different, and if he is on like he was against Texas with the deep ball, the deep ball accuracy, like you said, it's is nuts, just insane. All those deep throws that he made were dropped in a bucket. The coverage was good on most of those deep shots, but he was just too accurate. And then when you have a trio of receivers in Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan and Roma Dunsey, like that, that's that's arguably the best trio. I don't think it's arguably. I think that is the best trio, and I know. Ohio State has a Mekeg Booker and Marvin Harrison, but what those three guys have done this year for Washington is extremely impressive. And you mentioned the running game, and it hasn't been great all year, but Dylan Johnson over the last six games yep. has been really, really effective. And we know he went down at the end of that game, so we'll see if he's able to Brutal to see him go down in that game. situation, too. It was right. him and they right. had their best cover guy, uh, Jabbar Muhammad, go down late in that game. I think that's going to affect them against Michigan, no question here in a week. Yeah, for sure. But e- but even last night, like they weren't running the ball effectively. Yes, uh, Dylan Johnson scored twice, but they they really weren't able to run the ball. That was on Michael Penix's left arm. That's why he had to throw for 430 yards for them to win that game. And to me, the only thing that's extremely concerning to them is their defense. And if Michigan is able to impose their will and use Blake Corm as they as they choose and work play action with JJ McCarthy then it's it's going to be hard for Washington if they don't have that many chances. And then they're kind of in a scenario where they have to play the perfect game. They can't really turn the ball over. They can't lose possessions to Michigan. So, like I said, I think it's an interesting chess match. But if Michael Penix is on, it's going to be hard to beat Washington. Now, bear with me here um, because I know people will think this is absolutely ridiculous. You may get some deep sighs from this. But offensively, when you talk about those trio, the trio of wide receivers, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, Roma Dunsey with the quarterback and Michael Penix Jr., I think that offense, um, it kind of reminds me in, in a way, in a way, and I'm not saying the full offense, um, but it kind of reminds me of 2019 LSU and the fact that it, I, I would consider them in my head sort of a walk-me-down offense. They can just walk anybody they play down because of what they're able to do through the air. Like, do you do you get there with me or am I, am I overstating? I think you can draw similarities, but the consistency of that LSU offense, I think, is what sets them apart. LSU, that that team was so much more consistent. We know what Washington was early in the year, but then they had their lulls. Obviously, they're they're riding high again after wins over Oregon and Texas, but there just has been a little bit more up and down with Washington. But, I mean, overall, when you're drawing conclusions and looking at, at just, you know, skill position for skill position, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall, and then Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, and Jalen Pohl. Right. I get, I get the, I get the comparisons a little bit. That LSU offense is is the best offense in college football history. So maybe yep. it's a little bit far stretched, but it maybe it's the, uh, it's the knockoff brand. It's the knockoff yeah. version. The Aldi version. They're still really good. Yeah, they're still really good. And Jack Westover as well. You know, at the tight end position, has had some success too. So they have weapons everywhere. 
mention what Dylan Johnson has done over the last six games. I think he was averaging the fourth or fifth fifth most rushing yards uh, per game in the country over that stretch. So yes, the weapons are elite. But drawing it to LSU, that's uh, that's a tough yeah, one. That's I get a tough you. One. I get you. Now everybody's trying to you know uh, understand why Alabama fell short. What 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 do you think the reason is that Alabama fell short? I th- I see a lot of people. And that Alabama fan base going after their OC, Tommy Reese. I think all year you saw the same thing. He's a little too late to make his adjustments. Does he make those adjustments generally? Yes. Um, but ultimately that last play call looms large, um, even though it was another bad snap by Seth McLaughlin. Why do you think Alabama fell short? That's exactly what I was going to say. In two of the biggest scenarios this year for the Alabama football team, they've had bad snaps, and I know it's it's something that happens. I mean, you watch college football, the NFL, there are bad snaps, and quarterbacks have to adjust, and it's not just – it doesn't mean you're a bad center. I mean, we look if you go look at uh, the Philadelphia Eagles and Jason Kelsey, who's considered to be one of the best centers in the league, he's not considered and shouldn't be considered the best snapper of the ball. Right. He lets a lot of snaps get away from him. So it's not that. It's just in those moments. I mean, w- when they were down against Auburn, that was almost the – The fourth and 31 was set up by a bad snap. By by a bad snap, so that almost eliminated them from contention, and then going down and driving at the end of uh, of the Rose Bowl, and you get another bad snap, and then uh, I'm with you on the on the play call. I don't think that was a great play call by Tommy Reese uh, in that scenario in that situation against that front seven, and I know Michigan's defense overall, top to bottom, is really good, but I'm just and I trust Jalen Milrow's legs, but what I I mean honestly, what I was expecting in that scenario. If you go back and watch the play, the le- they were on the right hash, so the left side of the field was wide open. As soon as I saw the bat go in motion, I was thinking, okay, they're going to roll the pocket and give him a chance to throw the ball if he has something open or make something happen uh, with legs. his legs, and they just ran him right up the middle against one of the best front sevens and one of the best defensive lines in the country. So maybe in some scenarios it's not a horrible play call, but in that scenario against that defense, I just don't like it. And from the down and distance, you know, fourth and goal from the four-yard line, I just don't like uh, – I don't like a quarterback power right up the middle in that in that situation. I like moving the pocket, getting him out of the pocket, giving him a chance to find one of his receivers, um, and that's, that's just not what happened. Because I, if you if you move the pocket, like I said, you give him a chance to find a receiver and you right. also give him a chance to, use his to legs. be away from the front seven and use his legs. Yeah. I, I, the, thing that, the thing that bothered me about that play call, I agree with you. Let, let, it, let it be something where he can use – Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply a couple of options if there's somebody open wide open sitting in the uh, in a soft spot on the defense um in the end zone throw it but Jalen Milrow was great with his legs off platform all night let him do that you don't need to you know you don't need to draw up a run scheme against that type of front seven with the d tackles that they possess you just don't need to do that they have some big dogs there in the middle it's just tough it was tough and if you are going to run the ball in that situation, in that situation, at least do some kind of read option or zone right. read, and and have a chance to have two options and not just look. We're going right down the middle, and if it's not there, we lose, and if it is there, we win. I just don't. 
I don't like that play call in that in that scenario at all. All right, now on to Memphis football, man. I talked about this, and I told people even at nine and three with with the the Liberty Bowl, um, getting into the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, uh, you should be relatively enthused, like you should feel like there's positive momentum. But that type of win, it fe- felt like they saved their best game for last. Um, they held Iowa State to no yards rushing. Abu Sama couldn't get anything going. Um, they got after Rocco Becht. Uh, now, did he did he throw for a lot of yards? Absolutely. But thirty six to twenty six caps off the fourth ten win season in program history. That was that, that was a phenomenal cap to this year, and I think most people are starting to see this is this feels like real positive momentum for this program under Ryan. Yeah, this could be kind of the fulcrum point that we look back and say this is where Memphis football got back to where they were, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, because this was a different feel. I think a lot of people, I mean, even if you look around at the spread, I mean, Iowa State was a 10-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. So this was not a game Memphis was expected to win, even though they were playing uh, playing at home in a bowl game. They still were, you know, double-digit underdogs against a team that, you know, we both talked about as soon as the bowl matchup was announced, that this was a really good team that had been competitive and won some games they weren't supposed to win and played competitive in games against really quality opponents. And Memphis dominated from start to finish, especially offensively. And I know there are probably a lot of Memphis fans looking around, and I, I even had this feeling myself after the first couple of drives when they go down and score, it's like, can they keep the foot on the gas? Right. Because that was a question mark all year. And last they did. last I mean, two or three I years, too. Right, for sure. And they, they, you know, they may have let them hang around a little bit, but it never, it never really felt in doubt. And, you know, to win this game, you know, what, a 20-point swing plus in the spread, uh, that's, that's a big win for this team. And it, it definitely brings in a lot of positive momentum, not only for next season and what this team brings back, because they do bring quite a lot bit back, but also in recruiting. When you start stacking up these bowl wins and double-digit win seasons and you have the production that Blake Watson had and that Rock Taylor had and, and that some of the other offensive weapons has, this is just one of those wins that really helps in every aspect. You know, sometimes you win a game against a non-quality opponent and you can just kind of shrug it off. But winning a bowl game against a Power 5 opponent in this situation where you're a double-digit underdog is nothing but extreme positive momentum going into next year. And, and like I already pointed to, what they bring back, this should right. be a very good team that I think we would both probably agree will – will or should be favored to win the conference next year. Yeah, and, and theoretically, let's just go through what they're bringing back. Seth Hennigan, I mean, I, we had our questions early in the season about turnovers and him putting the ball in harm's way, but he finishes the year 3,880 yards passing, 32 TDs, 9 INTs. Um, that's, that's a good TD to INT ratio. He ran for 274 and 5 touchdowns. Uh, Mario Anderson Jr. Uh, coming over from South Carolina, you could see him stepping into those shoes for Blake Watson and being a lead back. Sutton Smith, I thought in that game in particular, when he had a carved out role, when the when the offensive, uh, you know, Tim Cramsey, Ryan, when they put together the game plan and they gave him a role, he definitely came through. He had the long touchdown um, uh, receiving. Um, Rock Taylor coming back potentially. Demir Blankumsey. I just saw that Kobe Drake uh, could come back as well. Like, you just look at what they have. Yeah, you need to shore up that offensive line after losing a few guys, but you're, you're going to have basically the same offense returning next year that was, you know, way up there. I mean, a top 20 offense in, in college football this year. 
I want to talk about the running back situation specifically because I think what you said about Sutton Smith is a perfect point with him having a defined role in that game. And you see what he can do as a, as a rusher and a receiver in a little bit more expanded role. I think with Mario Anderson coming in, who's more the between the tackles bruiser, it gives a more defined role to Sutton Smith because bringing in Blake Watson was such a good runner and receiver. It was hard to put Sutton Smith in that role because Blake Watson was so good. And now with Mario Anderson, who is a, I'm not saying he's not a capable pass catcher, but I think Sutton Smith is, is better in that role. So now I think you have a true thunder and lightning combo in the backfield, which is something that I, I think they need. I think they've needed someone to be that bruiser. And I know they used Brandon Thomas in that role, but he was really only a goal line back. That was really the only thing that Brandon Thomas was used for. And now I think you have clear, defined, you know, first and second down, Mario Anderson, goal line, Mario Anderson, um, third downs, obvious passing situations. That's when you have Sutton Smith in, allow him to use his receiving ability, his running outside the tackles. And I think this, truthfully, with Mario Anderson and Sutton Smith can be one of the more dynamic backfields in, in really in all of college football, definitely in the American if it's used correctly and schemed right for both of them. Now, and that's, um, you're talking about the offensive line, that takes a lot of pressure right. off of them as well. Right, 100%. And you saw Seth Hennigan. Like, th- this year, watching Seth Hennigan with that, that rushing ability, like the, the Blake Watson being able to go for 100 in any given game, like it just took so much pressure off of him. And he was able to uh, sort of, as the season went along, as the season progressed, he was able to, uh, he was able to play better, cleaner football. And, and you saw it, and the confidence definitely went up. Now, um, when it comes to Jordan Hankins, who was the interim D.C. for that game against Iowa State, what do we think? I know a lot of people are calling for him to be the next defensive coordinator with Matt Barnes off to Mississippi State as a safeties coach. But he held a guy in Abu Sama, uh, who's a freshman, one of the best freshman running backs in the country. He ended the year with 276 yards at Kansas State. We know Kansas State is a really, really good, stout defensive team. Um, he, he ran uh, for 110 against BYU. He was held to four yards on 12 carries. Like, what What are your thoughts? Like, should Jordan Hankins be a guy that they take very, very seriously in this defensive coordinator, um, you know, search? Because he was a guy, even when Matt Barnes was brought in a couple of years ago, he was a guy who was definitely in the running. Yeah, I think, I think he, at bare minimum, forced your hand to have him as a serious contender for that job. Now, should they still do their due diligence? Of course, and I'm, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they'll still – uh, hold interviews and and look for other candidates. But, I mean, if that was an audition, that was a heck of an audition. Uh, I mean, what he did in that game and the scheme that he had and the game plan that he had with the same defense that we saw struggle mightily throughout the year against inferior competition, it's hard for his hat not to be heavily in the ring and for him to really be the center of the conversation for a permanent defensive coordinator role. Yeah, talking with Christian Fowler at C. Fowler BCM. Now, I did tell my truth about the college football playoff. I think that the committee ultimately got it right. Two great games last night, uh, yesterday evening. But I think the bowl season as a whole, what do you think? I, I just feel like it's so cheap. And the recruiting calendar with coaches leaving, um, transfer portal window opening, uh, right before bowl season hits, it has just cheapened the product to a point. It doesn't mean that people aren't watching. I still think people are watching. But sometimes it's just hard to watch when you see third-string quarterbacks, guys in the transfer portal having to be thrown in at quarterback. Like, it's just not as fun as it once was. I remember way back when, when I grew up as a Colorado fan, I was excited to go watch Colorado play in the Champs Sports Bowl, right? I feel like the product is cheap, and do you feel the same way? 
Yeah, I was. I've been thinking that the entire last two weeks that it is extremely watered down. There's only three games that matter: the two college football playoff games and the national championship. Outside of that, it doesn't really mean anything at all, which is not nearly as fun of a viewing experience. Just like you mentioned, I mean, you've got second and third string quarterbacks out there playing. You've got teams that some of their top players have either opted out. I mean, Western Kentucky won a game with a transfer portal quarterback playing. He's he's in the transfer right. Right. He was in the transfer portal and he was forced to play. Yeah, that's insane. But you've got guys that have opted out for the draft um, and guys that are already in the transfer portal and a lot of guys that are already committed to other schools. And so it's just not in 90% of the cases, probably, it, it's not nearly the same team that took the field for the other 12 games during the season. So it's it's really hard to have any kind of barometer of how good those teams are or what it would have been like if those teams played in the regular season or even tell what that team will look like in the following season. Because usually you look around in bowl season, you think back to six, seven, eight years ago, you would look around and you would see teams hitting their stride in the bowl season. You look at their roster and you would say, okay, they a lot of underclassmen, these guys really came along throughout the year. They dominated the bowl game. This is one of those teams to watch for next year because they're going to take a big step. And you can't do that anymore because so many players – are added and taken away and, you know, going to the draft, which has always been there. But now there's more caveats to it. It's not just, oh, they're losing X, Y, and Z to the draft. It's, okay, they're losing four players to the draft. They're losing 15 players to the transfer portal. They're bringing in 10 players. Is that a net negative? Is it a net positive? Is it neutral? So it just it, – it totally waters down every bowl game outside of the two college football playoff games and the national championship. Everything else is – it's kind of who knows what would happen in a normal situation. And then ultimately, like the, the recruiting calendar, you, you can say what you want about coaches leaving and, um, you know, going to other jobs before the job is finished that they're at right th- that second and they're, uh, you know, in a bowl game and their team ultimately gets smashed. I look at, uh, um, you know, Oregon State getting smashed by Notre Dame because they don't have their starting quarterback, they don't have their coach. Um, but it, it's really hard to go about it and, and try to move. You can't really move that calendar back because school starts in January. You're going to have to you know, deal with transfer portal guys that way. I think the, the window is, is where it needs to be, where it has to be in order to get guys into school starting in January. And same with coaches. That, that recruiting calendar, you, you have early signing day in, in early December, and then the next one's in February, you have to be in there to go put together a class if, if you're moving jobs as a coach. Yeah, there's no there's no way to fix it. I do think expanding the playoff obviously helps because you just have more games that are meaningful because you're still competing for a national championship. So I do think bowl season with the expanded college football playoff with 12 teams, it gives you – it takes you from what I said, three games that matter to – whatever the math is on that, 12, 13 games that matter. So you at least have more meaningful games that teams are actually competing for something because even using that Orange Bowl reference with Georgia and Florida State, what are you what are you competing for? You know, I, especially in that scenario where you're two teams that both feel like you're good enough to be in the college football playoff or should have been, and now you're playing in a bowl game that just doesn't mean as much because you're not competing for a national championship. You're just competing for an Orange Bowl trophy and bragging rights. So there there will be more competitive games and more interesting games. Now, does it separate Does it separate even more? Does it water down even more the other bowl games that aren't, you know, the top 12 teams that are competing for a championship? Yeah, probably. But at least it gives us more top-level quality games where we know 
all the players will be there. It'll be the full team, and they'll be they'll be going for a national championship. So, I think the last two years are probably the worst of it. That's probably the worst that we'll see. I think it does get better next year with the expansion. Christian, I appreciate it, man. We'll do it again next week. Appreciate you, brother. See you yes, next sir. week. That's Christian Fowler uh, from Bluff City Media, senior writer and content creator. He is on X at C Fowler BCM. Now we're about 60 seconds away from sending it off to Grizzlies versus Spurs. Now for the Grizzlies' first game in the new year of 2024, their last game uh, in 2023 was not that great. Let's let's be honest about it. They lost by 31 to a, a Kings team who's trending in the right direction. But the Grizzlies had all hands on deck, and it still did not turn out how they wanted it to. So they need to start off 2024 on the right foot. And I think against the Spurs as 11-point favorites, it is a good opportunity to go make that happen. Um, but elsewhere, I do want to point you in the direction with this Memphis football team. Ten wins. Ten wins uh, is, is what they what they were able to accomplish. Ten and three after winning the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. And if you are ignoring the fact that there is positive momentum, I think you are just being negative for the sake of being negative. That's the truth of the matter. You have Kobe Drake coming back. You have Rock Taylor coming back. Demir Blankham. So you bring in Mario Anderson Jr. from South Carolina. Seth Hennigan's coming back. Feels like there's positive momentum for the first time under Ryan Silverfield. But let's go ahead and send you out to Grizzlies versus Spurs.